Welcome spooks and spirits, ghouls and ghosts. Take a seat around the campfire. But beware, this podcast is haunted. Hey, you don't shave your armpits either. Oh, look at us. Hey. You have more hair than me. I know. This one, like, grows in a little whirly. Little cutie, look at that. Yeah. Love. Do you not shave your legs? No, I don't. Right on. That's not great content. Uh, Jen, it was so bright and sunny today. Oh my god. It's getting warmer. It's getting warmer. I can feel it. It's not supposed to be under 40 degrees for the rest of this month. Plus. We're making it, guys. We're gonna fucking make it. Although this winter has not been bad. It's been weirdly mild. Hello, climate change. Oh. Uh, shout out to any of our listeners in Tennessee that were so strongly affected yeah. yesterday on Super Tuesday by those tornadoes. 40 people gone. Jeez. <sighs> and it's not tornado season yet. Mm-hmm. Climate change. Yep. yep. Uh, so let's not talk about depressing shit today. Yeah. Let's talk about different depressing... Well... Well, hang on. Can we start with something happy? Okay. Okay. So, guys, Jen and I have been invited to make mm. a public motherfucking appearance. Oh, my God. Yes. For the first time. Some fools invited us. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We're going to do our first live show. We're going to do a live show. Yeah. I'm so excited. So um, the best part of this for me mm-hmm. is that it's at my home. It's in Benton Harbor. It's in your home. Yeah. Well, I mean, not the. I mean, we're in my home right now. Yeah. But no, I get to go home to Benton Harbor and like... Do a live show at the second co- the second college I ever went to. Amazing. I know. I'm really excited. Yeah. So what we're talking about is Fandom Fest. Mm. It is a free event, April 4th, at the Mendel Center in Benton Harbor. And this is for fandom. It is for all the fandoms. Like, what's yeah. your fandom, Jen? Ooh, um, I've gone through so many Pick in my life. Um, mm, 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 mm. Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. Probably my favorite fandom, too. So wholesome. So wholesome. What about you? Sherlock. Ooh, that was a good one. And it's coming back. Season it is. Yes. How do I feel about that? Doesn't matter. Don't care. Season one and two are perfect. Season one and two are perfect television. And then it ended, and it was fine. That's kind of how I feel about Game of Thrones. Another great fandom. Mm. You know, after the last season, episode three. Yeah. There was no more show. We didn't watch anything and else. Supernatural was done after season five. I've never seen that show. All right. I know. So, regardless of your fandom, yeah, you can come fandom. fight with me about it in Benton Harbor. <laughs> you can fight with Jen about it. I do not give a rat's ass. Uh, so, we are just, I'm very excited that we get to go to that. Uh, you've already seen my hometown once, so mm, yeah. we're going to get some Lark's barbecue. Beautiful. We are going to eat at the beach. It's going to be great. So, April 4th. I'm coming home, Benton Harbor, Michigan. Be there. Yeah, guys, I genuinely, I super hope we see you. We're going to have a table. We're going to have a little session on the, like, mini stage. Uh, so come out. Don't, and not a little session. We're doing a live episode. Well, right. Yes. I just don't know how long. Uh, oh, but well, no. it will be <laughs> episode length. I... We're just going to take over, and yeah. I hope they're fine with that. Yeah. Um, Hopefully yeah. it won't take as long as it usually takes us to record these episodes. Why are you telling on us? Why are you telling how much we cut out? Like, mm. oh. Anyway, I'm excited, and I hope I get to see some of you guys there. See you April 4th in yeah. Ben Harbor, Michigan. Okay, well, that's done now. You were not excited enough. I- <laughs> <laughs> I'm very excited. It's. I'm going to be... I will probably... Barf mom's spaghetti all over my sweater before we do it because I Why is have, that eight mile? I will uh, be very nervous 
But we'll uh, do the best we can. I mean, honestly, and you'll it's carry me. Probably it. just going to be my cousins through who show up. So no, don't say that. We have plenty of fans in the area. You love us, right? <laughs> That's fine. And you'll all get to meet my cousins. <laughs> One of them's a cop. Try and grab his gun. Please don't do that. He will shoot you. So let's, yeah. What are we talking about today? We're talking about plagues. So no joke. Obviously, we've all been keeping an eye on the news, right? Yeah. And shit's starting to either, it's either like one source is like, everyone's going to die. Say your goodbyes to everyone now and just hole up in your house and wait until the apocalypse happens. And then the other news source is saying... No, this is not a thing. So. So can I give you the real scoop? Yeah. Okay. So coronavirus. Yeah. Coronavirus is a strain of flu. Okay. It is more deadly than the normal influenza that we get seasonally, Mm -hmm. which has a 0.1% death rate. Okay. Coronavirus has a 2% death rate. So 2% while high is not the highest. Mm. Now, a death rate is a general statistic. Okay. But if you break things down into demographics, it gives you a better idea of who is actually at risk. So not us? Not you. Because we're young, strapping individuals. No, but I... mm -mm. Okay. So coronavirus actually really freaks me out. Mm. Uh, I am prone, as you guys know... I have breathing issues. So my upper respiratory infections, like the fact that I've had an upper respiratory infection since November, coronavirus is not okay for me. Okay, so you're going to be bubble bubble person. Yes, no, yeah. Okay, so very genuinely, guys, and I'm sorry if I do sound paranoid, coronavirus is a threat to people like me, uh, people who have comorbidities, uh, which are, you know, like coronavirus doesn't kill you, pneumonia will kill you. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay, so the people who are most at risk are older males, So, like, the older you go, the more deadly corona is. So, Uh in the general population, we can say, oh, coronavirus is just a 2% death rate. If you are only testing children under the age of 9, corona is a 0% death rate. Mm. If you're only looking at uh, males 70 and older, it's a 85... No, it's a 15% death rate. Shit. Yeah, so... (sighs) Imagine, you know, your fate is to reach into a bag of 100 marbles. Mm -hmm. And there are two black marbles in there for most people. Mm Mm-hmm. There are probably more like five marbles for me. Gotcha. If I grab if I grab one of those five marbles, I die. Okay. So that's not great. Take it seriously. Yeah. <laughs> like what's really interesting about about what they're calling COVID nineteen is that it it passes extremely easily. It comes in. It's a virus that's within a lipid casement, so it's kind of in a grease bubble, and that's one of the ways that it stays safe. Like fat padding. <laughs> How do you get rid of grease though? Soap. Boom. <laughs> so guys, if you just wash your fucking hands. Yeah. Literally, Ugh. wash your fucking hands. <sighs> Hang on, I'm about to get angry. <laughs> so yeah. if you use hot soapy water, and it doesn't even have to be antibacterial. Right, okay. Because it's a virus, not a bacterial. Gotcha. You can just hot soapy water, break down that lipid casement, and literally wash the virus away. But you have to do it for at least 20 seconds in hot running water. Very achievable. And if you cough on something, cover your mouth. And additionally, stop touching your face. No, I can't do that. That's the hardest part for me, too. Yeah. I am constantly touching my nose like I'm a crackhead or a mm-hmm. cokehead. Mm-hmm. So just do your best, everybody. And please remember that COVID-19 might be a joke to you, but it's super fucking serious to me. Ha-ha. Well, okay. Yeah, you weren't ready for all that. I don't no. think I've expressed to you my COVID-19 okay. uh, feelings. Yeah. So uh, we're, I was watching the news and I was like, hey, you know what would be a great idea? For an episode. Let's go all in. Let's do plagues. Let's talk about plagues. For once, guys, it was Jen with the depressing idea. 
Um, I feel like this is, at least mine's not going to be very depressing. Well, there's a touch of darkness, but it happened a while ago. Is there a touch of blackness? Yeah, there is. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Mine is actually kind of hilarious, but also very dark. Okay, do tell. I mean, that's kind of on brand for us. Right? Like, do you, should I just start? Yeah. Okay. I'm so excited. Okay. I didn't, I I genuinely thought this was a joke. Mm -hmm. It ain't a joke. I want to tell you guys about dancing plagues. Okay. So you have told me this and is it what it sounds like? You mean, is it a plague where people start dancing until they die? Yeah. Yep. Oh my God. That's literally what it is. (laughs) Tell me everything. (laughs) I can't wait. (laughs) The dancing plague. So we actually have historic record of these plagues happening a number of times. This isn't like a one and done. So there are actually a number of reported instances of dancing plagues throughout history. This is wild. This is incredible. So the earliest one that I found record of is actually all the way back to 1021. So the year 1021. We're talking age of the Vikings, That's before the invasion of... of Normandy. Normandy. Yeah, 1056. Yeah. I thought it was 1066. Might be that too. Somewhere in there. Wow, okay. I can't remember. We're such nerds. Uh, yeah, so this actually happened Christmas Eve. Now, the story that I'm about to tell you is not a primary source. Um, it is reported, but um, that doesn't mean you can dismiss it out of hand. So the report is that in 1021 on Christmas Eve in Kolbig, Germany. So it looks like K-O-L-B-I-G-K. Yeah. Kolbig. <laughs> Forgive me, German language. German. Just this, the, the German German yes. that we have listening to our show. I'm sure no Germans listen to this show. <laughs> Forgive me, Liz. My good friend, Liz. Anyway, so in Kolbeck, Germany, there it was Christmas Eve. And Christmas Eve... Christmas used to be real different, guys. Yeah. Uh, Christmas used to be a drunken orgy, basically. Especially in Germany. I, you know? Well, Germans I mean... fucking party. To be fair, it wasn't Germany at the time. Well, true. So there were revelers in the street. Mm-hmm. And inside, they were trying to have mass. And the revelers were so loud that the mass could not be heard. And so the minister, priest, what have you, goes out and he shames the dancers in the street. And rather than like shamefacedly turning away, they hold hands with each other and they dance around him and make fun of him. (gasps) So he lays a curse upon them. Okay. Uh, Okay. Yeah. He says, you shall dance for a year as, what was it? You shall dance on end without end for one year. And they did. These people danced and danced and danced until Christmas Eve the following year, 1022. Now, when they stopped dancing, uh-huh. they fell down exhausted and asleep. And some of them never woke. This doesn't seem possible. It doesn't. But guess what? It totally fucking is. What? There are multiple instances of many different people recording dancing hysteria throughout history. Okay. To the point where it even has... An official name. Mm-hmm. Choreomania. Oh, like choreography. I see. They're doing do. choreography. Yeah. <laughs> Had to work that in there. <laughs> yeah. Choreomania is what it's officially called. Okay. And this is not the only instance of it. So the first one, Kolbik, Germany. The second one is in Erfurt. Germany. That's in 1247. Well, these Germans really know how to get down. They do. And this was a group of people who danced unstoppably. They could not be persuaded to end. They lost themselves in trances. They were dancing through broken toes. They were bleeding through their shoes. Oh my god. It was completely unstoppable. They actually had 200 people who were dancing together and they danced over a small bridge. Uh-huh. And the bridge snapped under their weight and all the jumping and pressure. And they fell into the river and they almost all died. They uh, could not stop dancing enough to oh get out of the water. 
I cannot relate. I get so tired so easily. Exactly. That's such an important thing. I want you to remember you said that. Okay. So another instance was in 1374. This happened in West Germany, but it spread all the way to northeastern France and the countries of the lowlands. Okay. So like the Netherlands. What the fuck is happening? Hysteria. Okay. (laughs) So uh, this was actually uh, thousands of people. It kept spreading and cropping up in different places. Um, Some danced nonstop, literally for six months. Just completely unable, physically unable to stop twitching and jigging. It's not like these are choreographed dances. Have Mm -hmm. you ever seen people at a rave? (laughs) <laughs> and some people are like sliding and dancing yeah, yeah, yeah. and then some people are just jumping and flipping out well yeah i'm familiar with the okay so it's that kind of dancing. dancing right <laughs> um no every dance i've ever attended has been a jane austen situation where we're all doing the same thing of course that's as a renaissance fair person same i wish that were the case yeah well <laughs> Anyways, so here in 1374, people were actually dancing through broken ribs and broken loins. So, like, their pelvises were breaking. Okay. I was like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't like this. No. Now, the most famous case actually comes to us in 1518. Mm-hmm. And this is in Strasbourg. What the fuck is happening in Germany? Thank you so much. We're going to come back to that Okay. This is weird. 400 people were affected. Uh Now, before, we've said the word thousands before. Okay. This is much more localized. This is just in the city of Strasbourg. It actually all started with a woman, Frau Trophia. Uh, She started dancing July 14th of 1518. Okay. And the dancing did not stop for over a month. What was that? Probably my thing. So it started with Frau Trophia. Trophia. Sorry if I butcher that. Uh, it started July 14th with her. She was the first dancer. You can dance if you want. <laughs> you can. It was going to happen. Sometime. It has to. Yeah. Thank you. There was a physician on hand. His name, uh, he was a Renaissance phys- physician named Paris. Par- yep. Mm-hmm. Paracelsus. Okay. And he was a big old fucking misogynist. Mm. So he thinks that the, the dancing that she was doing was actually to embarrass her husband. And that's the only reason she so did it. So what if it was? Uh, But that the whole thing was fake um, and it was in her mind. Uh Uh, He is not entirely wrong. Choreomania is in people's minds. Okay. But that doesn't make it less real. Right. I mean, like, so is depression. Right. Exactly. Anxiety and all that. Um, But it is actually, it's affecting them physically. Mm -hmm. So you know how... I mean, my anxiety affects me physically. Yes, exactly. Like, I will feel physically ill. These people were literally walking on broken limbs. Oh, my God. They didn't feel it. That's so ouchy. Yes. These individuals were moving involuntarily. Mm -hmm. They were screaming. They were crying for help in some cases. Oh. But the longer they danced, they would slip into a trance. Ah. Uh, These trances were altered states. Uh Uh-huh. They were literally perceiving the world differently. Okay. Um, and it gave them extreme endurance. Like you said, you get tired after one, two dances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I get tired like after three minutes of the cha-cha slide. I'm done. I mean, the three minutes of the cha-cha slide is an eternity. That's <laughs> true. Uh, these people would not have felt that eternity. They just kept going. Blood gushed in the streets. For a fucking year? No, uh, that was a different case. In wow. this case... It was just for about a month, month and a half. That's still a fucking long time. It is. It's such a long time. And it was observed by so many different people. We have tons of records of this. That's so weird. Yeah, including the uh, the Dutch painter and, and etcher, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Bruegel, the elder. <gasps> I know that guy. Yeah, so he has some drawings that have been copied by others uh, that show off this dancing mania that he observed. Uh, okay. 
Yeah. The mania gets so extreme that some of these etchings show somebody dancing with a severed arm. Literally, they're holding their own severed arm. What? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh. Um, they I, they just danced through the pain. They were complete. It was a mass hysteria. That brings new meaning to every dance instructor ever. Just just <laughs> work through the pain. Right. Right. We got Black Swan and got shit on the people of Germany. It, right. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> now Amy Portman's watched them. I'm like yes. Excellent. Good hustle. Dance through the pain. Dance. That's what she sounds like. (laughs) I hope Natalie Portman never listens to this. Oh, she won't. Big fan. (laughs) So once this dancing started, people didn't know how to make it stop. So Frau Trophia... She was Mm -hmm. the first victim. They pinned her down. Didn't stop. They bled her. It didn't stop. (laughs) I was going to be like, why? And then I remembered what what time period we're talking about. Right. It's what they did. There's something wrong. Stick (laughs) them. Put leeches on her face. Yeah. That's great. Um, so finally, they actually separated her. They, they took her in a wagon away from Strasbourg, and they took her to the Shrine of St. Vitus. Okay. Or Vetus. Vetus. So the Shrine of St. Vetus. Vetus is one of the 14 helpers. So, you know, like St. Christopher for the travelers. And... Yeah. Okay. So Vetus is the patron saint of entertainers and epileptics. Oh, okay. So Same thing. <laughs> You that's know? that's weird. The dark. epileptics in my life are pretty rad, so yeah. it makes sense to okay. me. <laughs> anyway, uh, so St. Vetus, they took her in her dancing fever mm-hmm. to St. Vetus. And eventually, through lots and lots of prayer, after about four days, she was cured. Okay. Back at home, though, she had left a hysteria. And it continued to grow and grow and grow. What does this happen i'll Please answer that in just a little me. bit you i'll tell know. you okay well, i have a theory uh, oh okay the village elders who are looking over the town of Strasbourg, they don't know what to do mm-hmm. the number of people growing dancing in the streets is getting bigger all the time yeah because you can't just do a footloose situation <laughs> right you can't just lock it doesn't work no dancing as no. we learned from the movie footloose you can't you can't stop the human desire the to beat. move <laughs> if you will as we learned from the movie Hairspray. Hairspray. Anyway. You can't stop. If we start, we're never going to stop. We never will. So, get on the list. Whenever you're done. Whenever you're done. Also, what were you saying? Cut the loose. Oh. Anyway. Uh, the town elders were informed that the best thing that they could do is let everybody dance it out. That this was some sort of... Um, that's what I say about toddlers all the time. Yeah, honestly. That's probably good advice for toddlers. Dance it out. Not for grown-ass people. And, mm. and some of them were elderly. Mm. Dancing, which is a high-energy activity. Yeah. In the streets. In heavy woolen clothes. In the streets. <laughs> Sorry. In the middle of July. Oh. With no medical help around. Oh, no. Uh, people were dying. They were having heart attacks. They were having strokes right in the middle of the road. Uh, and the town was like, well, fucking hire a band. <laughs> so they hired a band. They put up, they literally hired people to build stages so that everybody would have a place to just dance it out and get it done with. It made it so much worse. Oh, no. It, Probably because, like, new people who weren't even affected would be like, oh, hey, what's going on? What's going on? Hey, guys. And like, I can't stop. Yes. That's what? literally what happened. What? Yes. <laughs> that's genuinely a thousand percent what was going on. I don't understand. Isn't that crazy? I don't understand. Yes. So, you don't understand. There are a couple of different theories out there that we can choose from. Okay. One of them mm-hmm. is going to sound familiar. What is a special type of mold? 
That affects rye. Ergotism. Ergotism. There is a theory that all of these German locations are mm-hmm. all pretty close together. Gotcha. Okay. And a lot of rye bread. Yeah. As Germans are wont to do. Yep. Ergotism absolutely could have affected this. Mm-hmm. However. Yes. Ergotism restricts yes. blood flow to extremities. Mm. And it actually hampers your endurance rather than giving you more endurance. Okay. So while it's possible that mm. ergot plays a role here, it doesn't explain everything. Okay. So let's talk about mass hysterias. What is a mass hysteria? I'll take anything. Shout out what you think you know. It's a bunch of people being hysteric. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, and when you're in hysterics, are you making sense? No. No. When you get into hysterics, for example, all right, the last time I went into hysterics. Oh. I'm just going to do some real fucking sharing here. Okay. So the last time I went into hysterics was during a time in my life when I was fighting with my former boss. Mm-hmm. We had we actually fought for about two years. Uh, it was very stressful. Like my everyday office life was an absolute war zone. So that's cool. At that point in time, one of my dear, dear friends was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. And this person had the tumor removed and I was making applesauce. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. were, they were, you know, it had been about two weeks Things were cooling down. I was making applesauce in my crock pot and I was putting it all in Tupperware and I was going to put it away and freeze it so I would have delicious, delicious applesauce. Also, we had some family illnesses that were going on. There was a lot of stressors in Mm -hmm. my life. So as I'm bundling up this applesauce into a Tupperware container, I turn to put it in the freezer. I knock the applesauce out of my hands. It hits the floor. The container breaks and it goes literally everywhere. Oh my gosh. I don't remember what happened next. Huh. Yeah. I kind of came to a couple minutes later. I was laughing and crying at the same time, but like really like not oh like my God. a little bit of tears, uh-huh. like those big, deep hurt, hurt your rib cage, hurt uh-huh. your abdominal muscles sobbing. And Dan was standing over me like, what the fuck just happened? Are you okay? Mm-hmm. And I was just laughing and crying and I couldn't talk to him. Like oh. I was just. That is the most terrifying thing yeah, I, ever. I couldn't stop myself. So like I was just making that like, you know, sucking gill noise. Like, Like, I could not control myself. And on top of that, a certain amount of time had elapsed because Dan was not in the house. Uh, The freezer door, which is what I'd hit the thing on, was open. And our freezer starts beeping after five minutes. Mm -hmm. So Dan was standing over me. He got me to come to. I was sobbing and crying. And the freezer door was beeping, so it had been at least five minutes. Oh, my God. Yeah, of just me flipping the fuck out. Yeah, that was a very extreme situation. Mm -hmm. The people who are dealing with these instances of mass hysteria are also facing extreme situations. Okay. So if we're looking at... For example, uh, this last one, uh, 1518 in Strasbourg. Strasbourg that year had had a flood. They had a flood so bad that lots of people were made homeless. Mm. Uh, Later, they had an extreme drought. Irony. Mm. Uh, And it affected their food stores. So there was starvation. People were homeless. Uh, On top of that, the plague kept coming and coming back. And a Mm. new plague had just emerged called syphilis. (laughs) Stage three syphilis is like the oh, Walking Dead. Horror show. It is, yeah, people's noses fall off. Yeah. Untreated syphilis in stage three literally makes your body parts fall off. So these people were so incredibly stressed out that they went into mass hysteria. They were so deeply affected by the stressors in their lives that they literally could not stop involuntarily moving, moving through pain. They were blacked out for a long time. Well, shit. Isn't that fucking terrifying? <laughs> yeah. Now consider for a second the stress in America today. Are you saying we're due? You know, 
<laughs> I, I think there is something to be said for the incredible acts of violence that happen in America. Oh, uh-huh. I think that the average American is under such incredible stress from not being able to pay bills or seek adequate medical health care mm-hmm. or just the kind of trauma that we are inflicting on other people around the world that there's nothing the average American can do about it's terrible. And not to be like, oh, poor Americans. But like genuinely, mm. people are very stressed out. Yeah. It is not getting better for the average American here. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I do kind of think we're due oh, okay. for some mass hysteria. Uh, now, while we're talking about mass hysteria, we can talk about the cures for mass hysteria. Mm-hmm. So one of the most important things for mass hysteria is to separate the people who are affected because it does spread like a disease. So remember grade school when your girlfriend would tell a silly joke uh-huh. and you guys would get the giggles? Yeah. And you literally couldn't stop? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And your jaw hurt, and your mouth was watering, and your sides hurt, and you literally could not stop. Uh huh. That's a form of hysteria. So you're saying that the last time this happened for you, you were a yeah, I was having a great time. Child. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, I meant not that oh. one. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I meant you haven't laughed like that since you were a child. <laughs> Oh, that's so sad. I don't know if I have. That's so sad. Sorry. Oh. I don't mean to be a downer. That's a real bummer. <laughs> I'm sorry. Have you laughed like that since? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Fine. All right, well, I'm going to go lay down. Yeah, go think about your <laughs> life. Uh, so separating people is really important. And then taking away any sort of um, response that they're getting. Mm-hmm. Because on some level, they are doing something to get a reaction. Mm. Even if it's even if they don't know that they're doing it. Just don't respond. Uh, try and shut it down. Keep calm. Don't feed into the hysteria. So a lot of people actually calmed their hysteria by visiting St. Vitus. He was the patron saint of dancers and entertainers and epileptics. Mm-hmm. He has a really interesting life story. He's one of the martyred saints. Oh, okay. I love talking about martyrdom. <laughs> actually, we should do that as a season this year. Yeah, yeah, As an episode? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, St. Vitus was actually, uh, he's part of the early church. I do want to note up front, um, because the Catholics actually got really good about this in the 60s. So they started separating fact from fiction. Hmm. And he, I believe, is no longer considered an actual saint. He's a like more like a legendary status. Got so to be an actual saint, you had to have lived piously, died, and then had some sort of post-death miracle. Oh, some okay. sort of miracle has to happen. Don't you now, also have to have done miracles in life? Maybe. I think so. All right. Also, my Catholic side is. Do you have a Catholic side? Come, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. On what side? Your dad's? My mom. Oh, my dad is Catholic, but he's really bad at being Catholic. <laughs> well, my mom's not Catholic anymore either, so. You know, I don't think, uh, except for a couple people, I don't know anybody who was raised Catholic who stayed being a Catholic. The rest of my mom's family. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Anyway, so Vitus was the son of a Roman senator, and he was somewhere between 7 and 12. They're not exactly sure. When he converted to the Christian church, obviously it was in its infancy. Uh, Vitus was born in 1290. He's dead by 303, so somewhere in there. Um, his father, who was obviously not a Christian, was torturing him to to give up Christ. Mm. And he wasn't going to have that. So his nanny and her husband took him away where they were going around and delivering miracles. Yes, while they were alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, they, they drove out a demon... Uh, which was in possession of the son of Emperor Diocletian. Oh, okay, yeah. So that's fun. Uh, so, but he still wasn't allowed to be a Christian. So he was tortured until death. And afterward, he was able to bring a venerated adult, uh, a lady in good standing, to where his body was so that she could 
have it properly buried. Huh. Yeah. All right. So he is who you call on as one of the 14 helpers of the Catholic faith. For example, when you leave on vacation, bless me, Sir St. Christopher. Sure, yeah, yeah. Cover of Travelers. Catherine is for mothers, or is that Maria? Probably Maria. <laughs> No, 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 it's not that Maria. It's a different one. <laughs> yeah. There are three women and the other 14, the other of the 14, the other 11, I guess, are men. But anyway, I can't remember and it doesn't matter anyway. Um, if you guys want to check out this story yourself, I do have a couple great sources here. Uh, most of this information came from The Lancet, uh, which is a medical Dirt. journal. I know. Wikipedia can suck it this week. Mm. Uh, So this is called The Art of Medicine, Forgotten Plague, Making Sense of Dancing Mania. And then I have another article here from Public Domain Review, The Dancing Plague of of 1518. And there's actually a great quote here that I wanted to share with you. Um, This is a a 17th century chronicle by the Strasbourg jurist Johann Schittler. (laughs) Yeah? Johann Schilter, uh, and he, what we have is a, a part of a poem, and it says, Many hundreds in Strasbourg began to dance and hop women and men. In the public market, in alleys and streets, day and night, many of them ate nothing until the last sickness left them. This affli- affliction was called St. Vitus's Dance. Now, St. Vitus's Dance still exists today, but it's become an actual medical term Mm. uh, for people who have a nervous disorder that causes tics and twitches. But what they used to call St. Vitus's dance is this dancing mania that we're going to call choreomania now. So it was really all caused by mass hysteria, brought on by the incredible stressfulness of life in the Middle Ages, and possibly, yes, by ergot. So two things together. So mine was short and cute. Yeah. Oh, wait. Do you want to hear about a couple other mass hysterias? I'll be brief. Okay. Okay. Um, so <laughs> the first uh, mania I want to tell you about is biting nuns. What? Uh, yeah. Nuns who bite. Um, so uh-huh. this uh, is, again, this is from uh, the strange story of nuns that meowed like cats in seven other cases of mass hysteria. All right. What? <laughs> I'm not even going to tell you the cat one. Oh, okay. Literally, nuns started viciously attacking each other uh, in the Middle Ages, specifically in Germany in the 15th century. Fuck. I know. I know. Germany, um, are you okay? But once again, Germans eat a lot of rye bread. Yeah. A little bit of mold goes a long way. Yeah. Uh, also, think about the stresses. If you were a 15th century woman, that would bring you into life in a cloister. Yeah. Fair. You know, you were often shoved into the Sometimes nunnery. Sometimes you just got a butt of That's right. nun. That's right. I was about to say something worse, but I don't Thank you for not talking that. about that. Nuns. Anyway, uh, so the epidemic actually covered most of the Holy Roman Empire. Nuns had to be physically separated from each other. Uh, there was no clear explanation as to what was happening. Just nuns took it into their head and started attacking. Like, you know what? Yeah, I'm bored. Now all of that is in the distant past, right? We don't have to worry about that anymore. Oh, no. (laughs) Now what? So let's talk about the laughing plague of 1962. Ah, Not so long ago. Uh. Um, So this is a case of infectious laughter. It started at a girls' school. So remember when I said giggling with your girlfriends? Mm -hmm. Um, 1962, three young girls from a boarding school in Tanzania began laughing uncontrollably. Eventually, uh, because this laughter was nonstop for hours at a time, it spread to other children and became so widespread that the entire school was forced to shut down. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. From there, the epidemic did not end, uh, and their laughing sickness was carried home by the girls who were no longer boarders. So in that year, there were 217 cases of the laughing flu in Tanzania. It eventually cleared up once the hysteria cleared up. You have to get your emotions out somehow. Amazing. Yeah. All so. Right. That is mass hysteria. Okay. It's out there, man. Whew. 
All right. Well, so you know we couldn't possibly get through an episode about plagues without... Talking about my favorite plague? Talking about the OG. The OG plague. The plague of all plagues. The bubonic plague. Hell yeah. Give me some of that black plague. Mm, So I know a lot of you know a decent amount about this, probably, (laughs) considering our audience base. But I'm going to hopefully bring some fun facts. Are they actually fun? I think some of them are, well, they're interesting. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I knew, like, basic things about this, but I I learned a lot. Per your recommendation, I listened to a lecture from The Great Courses. This one is from The Story of Medieval England. So it's very England-centric, but it hit everywhere, so. Yeah, the Black Plague was not just England. Yeah, Um, so I'm going to try to keep it pretty general um, as far as geography is concerned. So it did come from Asia in the 1340s originally. I did not know that, actually. I had no idea where it started. Yeah. So I should have. I probably just let that go. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. Because throughout this, I was getting kind of like echoes of what's going on now. Mm-hmm. Except for, don't worry, that one was way more deadly. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. The, spoiler alert, COVID-19 is only 2% deadly at the best of times. Yeah. This one is... 40% or higher, Real right? Real bad. Um, so it started in the 1340s. Um, I think the earliest case, well, 30, mid, mid-1340s. mid It traveled by shipping routes, contrary to longstanding belief that it was caused by rats. Right. It was actually caused by the fleas on rats. Sure. So rats are left off, let off the hook there. That's right. Rats are lovely. Mm-hmm. Fleas on their hand. Those motherfuckers. Pestilence amongst the world. Yeah. So, uh, fleas on rats on ships traveling from Asia, landing in Italy. Where is the first European outbreak of COVID-19? Italy. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I don't care for that, actually. Yeah. Um, I think it must just be like Italy is like kind of the gateway to Europe. That makes sense. Yeah. It's Um, it's a huge trading port. It's also there was a market for a lot of Europeans could not afford the luxuries of the uh, what they called the Orient. The Orient, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Uh, So bad and problematic, but that's what they called it. Right. (laughs) Uh, If you continue to listen to my lecture series that I have on here, Uh, uh, you'll cover some of the trading stories that happened for explorers. Remember Mm -hmm. when I got into explorers for a brief minute there? Yeah. Lectures. So Europeans had sustenance Mm -hmm. goods, whereas Asians were bringing luxury goods, mm-hmm. and so it made for uneven trading at first. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. I get excited. Yeah. But in wealthy, heart of the Roman Empire, Italy, they would have had money for luxury. Yeah. So the plague reaches Italy by 1347. It, it Ships would arrive. They would just find ships kind of floating with no one left alive. Like a ghost ship? Yeah, That's basically. Like, I have nightmares about that all the time. Yeah. So it was out loud and proud. It, like, this is contrary to coronavirus. It had a very short incubation period. Right. Which, if you're going to be uh, really morbid about it, is actually kind of bad for team virus because you want it to, you know, be undetectable for a certain amount of time before it spreads. Right. Uh, so, it, so it can spread to the maximum number of people. Absolutely. Now, this didn't really stop the bubonic plague <laughs> from wreaking havoc, but, you know, it could have been much worse. Right. <laughs> I suppose. So from Italy, it kind of um, spread north all throughout Europe through trading lines and they knew what was happening but they could, still couldn't really stop it right so there was no germ theory there was yeah. no understand like you got sick from the evil eye right 
Yeah, it was like, you just didn't believe enough in God or something. Right. <laughs> Which is still an idea that people have. Um, so people in England, uh, they knew it was coming and they were trying to take any precautions that they could, but they just, they, you know, churches said prayers, people put their f- affairs in order, took whatever kind of preventative measures possible. But it was coming and there was no stopping it. So it arrives in 1348. They were already kind of not set up for success because there was a famine a few decades earlier that had kind of weakened a generation of people's immune systems. Mm-hmm. Um, so they already weren't in great health. Um, the climate continued to be cold and wet, too much rain at the wrong time, and there was crop failures. And there was also overpopulation for like the first time right. ever. So people were like really crowded into areas and urbanization was increasing. Um, So you have a bunch of people who aren't healthy, who don't have enough food, and there's nothing they can do really. Right. So uh, it reaches Dorset. Um, in 1340, June of 1348, probably coming from Calais, spreads to nearby towns, going kind of east to west along different trading routes. Um, it hits London a bunch of different times. It wasn't in full force in London until 1349. So everyone was kind of freaking out about this. So London, a notoriously very populated city, had a population of over a thousand even in Roman times. Mm-hmm. A lot of people crammed into one place. Existing cemeteries could not handle the volume of deaths that were happening. Which we've touched on in the show before. Mm-hmm. Plague pits. Plague pits. Yes, exactly. There is new cemeteries being hastily opened and consecrated. One estimate of the death toll says that there were twenty to 30,000 deaths in a total population of sixty to 70,000. Half. Yeah. Just about half. A yeah. third to half. Um, so, yeah, people had to result to plague pits and mass burials. It wasn't, this plague wasn't something that just affected poor people. Um, it affected all parts of society. The newly elected Bishop of Canterbury died. So did the guy they appointed to replace him. <laughs> Guild leadership was, like, wiped out in different areas. Um, Which is, of course, how they organized their society, right? Yeah, it was basically anyone you come into contact with is just spreads. As many as 50% of all clergy died because they're the ones on the front lines giving last rites to everyone. Right. Um, And that just really affected, especially Franciscan orders. Um, They're especially the ones that work with the poor. And then this turns into a bigger problem when nobody wants to go to London. Nobody wants to trade. Nobody wants to trade. Nobody wants to bring food. Oh, right. London can't grow (laughs) their own fucking food. Right. They're kind of like cut off. What a nightmare. Yeah, it was a fucking nightmare. Historians have kind of, you know, tried to nail down exactly what the bubonic plague is. Interesting fact, there's a theory that it could be two or even three different diseases. Yeah. Well, for this time period. I mean, they know what bubonic plague is, but the historic outbreaks of plague could have been something more than plague, right? No, they, they're they not even 100% sure what it is. Oh, fuck. Yeah. That's not how I read that before. Cool. Um, so um, the closest they can guess to what the the uh, the disease is in modern days. It is Yersinia pestis. It broke out in Asia in the 19th century, but... Yersinia, is that bear? Bear, bear pest? I don't know. Because like Ursa Major, Ursa Minor, Yersinia. 
Is it with a U? It, no, it's a Y. Oh, okay. Then fuck it. Okay. <laughs> None of that's helpful. Okay. So there was kind of like two different categories of like symptoms presenting with different death rates. Sure. So that's partly why they think that there might have been even two different strains. Two different strains or two different viruses happening at the same time. Yeah. Um, spreading, kind of piggybacking off of each other. Um, so the first was the symptoms were known were the, the buboes, mm-hmm. which are like the huge swollen Source. like they could be the size of an orange sticking yeah. out of you they'd be like black or purple huge swollen things <laughs> really gross victims um, would die within five days but it also had the highest rate of survival so if you could make it through that the second one was a lot more deadly Uh, People would usually die within three days. Uh, It had, the symptoms were a continuous fever and a disease in the lungs. Uh, The victim would spit up blood, kind of like TB, but like three days. Yeah. (laughs) Kills you right off. God almighty. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are all based off of contemporary accounts too. So, you know, take that as you will. But there are reports of a third kind of one, which I think, I don't know. We don't really know what's going on here, but there's other accounts that report that like whole families would go to bed feeling perfectly fine and would just all be dead in the morning. Yikes. Yeah. So. Yikes. Yeah. That's a fucking lot. Um, Overall, Throughout um, England and Europe, about a third of the population dies. Think about that. The whole population of that continent. Just think about the trauma that that would do. Like, <laughs> yeah. just stop for a, an instant and think about the people that you see every day. And then count them off. One, two, three. That one's gone. Mm-hmm. One, two, three. That one's gone. And that's a conservative estimate. It right. might have been more. Well, and usually it would be that whole sector right. of society is We gone. lost all of the... Brew, brew guild. Mm-hmm. You know, we lost all of the nuns. We yeah. lost. Yeah, it's shocking. Yeah, it had a huge effect um, for generations. It basically ended feudalism because for generation afterwards, um, landlords couldn't find tenants to. Yeah, there wasn't enough help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like when there's not enough workers, workers don't have to put up with your shit anymore. Yeah. So I guess there's you know the silver lining. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> In all of it. Um, but anyway, let's talk about um, ways that people dealt with it and tried to prevent it. You said that there was no germ theory at the time. That is true. So people didn't really understand how it was spread. They understood that, you know, people in contact with a diseased person would catch the disease. So they knew something was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of them thought it was the bad air. So they would wear malaria, malaria. Yeah. Air. Mm-hmm. So they would wear like cloths around their mouths. Uh, they would wear like amulets and charms. They had a belief that one bad odor could cancel out another. So you would see, uh, apparently this idea came from an idea that people who were working in latrines were thought to be immune. Okay. But at what cost? (laughs) But also this is not true. Oh, they weren't actually immune? They (laughs) weren't. Yeah. So I think it was just a case of like, here's a group of men who work in a latrine who haven't been exposed to it yet right. and so maybe they were fine but it's not because they worked in a latrine because like there'd be other guys who worked in latrines in a different area who were all affected so sure. i you know it's just people's minds will try to figure out anything right of course you're you, you would have had to have been so desperate to find an answer yeah and so <laughs> many began crouching over latrines for hours at a time trying to absorb enough of the noxious smell to make themselves immune that's a bad time 
That's a real bad time. So not only are you probably going to die, but you're going to smell like shit, and you're going to f- smell physical shit Yeah, yeah. on the way out the door. It's not great. Not me, guys. That's why we're living every day like it's the last day. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to run head first into the crowd. Just breathe it all in. That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> breathe in all that bad air. Um, so one thing that was happening in continental Europe that wasn't happening in England was uh, a lot of continental Europe was turning to self-flagellation. Ew, like they were beating themselves? Yeah, yeah. They saw this as divine punishment from God, which I guess, like, how could you not at that time? Honestly. So they thought, you know, let's just do shit ton of penance. Hopefully that'll save us or, you know, stop it. So, yeah, they would, you know, walk around. They would even, like, cut holes in the backs of their ropes so that people, other people could, like, hit them better. Not great. <laughs> Another, Jesus. Yeah. Another thing that was happening was blaming the Jews. Naturally. Which you'll always have. Apparently there weren't, all the Jews in England had been expelled 50 years before so right. that they didn't have any Jewish people to blame. Um, so, but that was happening in Europe uh, so uh, it kind of burned through Europe and England within those two years. It was pretty much over by 1349, at least that time. Right. Round one. Round one. So it would return on a pretty regular basis for the next three or so hundred years. Jesus. I think the next time it hit was 1361 through two. Um, it hit really hard on children that time because that was the first generation to grow up that hadn't already been exposed to the plague. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, there's a bunch of effects that come from this. Um, people get really fucking grim about death. Uh, you can see that in funerary art. It gets like pretty, pretty goth, Yeah, <laughs> I would say. Um, uh, as I said, the, the labor force changes, and so that changes economic systems. This isn't, like, immediate, but it does definitely over time change um, and pretty much ends feudalism. I bet a lot of people who, when I said the plague, immediately had a certain image come to mind. Plague doctor. Yes. With the long beak-like nose. Yeah. So those uh, were a thing in the 17th century, the 1600s, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, they were introduced in Napoli in 1630, um, but spread throughout Europe. Of course, they came from Italy, right? Like, right. that's the most <laughs> Italian-looking thing ever. Very much so. Italy does masks really well. They really do. It wasn't just the mask. It would be a whole overcoat with va- waxed fabric, but the mask would have glass eyes and a beak-shaped nose that would be stuffed with herbs, straw, and spices. They would also frequently carry a cane that they would use to examine patients without touching them. From a distance. Kind of like, they're there, lemon. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I mean, think about how profound that is, and it it might have helped, because uh, these physicians, they're effectively wearing protective gear. Mm -hmm. Their eyes are covered, their mouths are covered, their noses are covered. Yeah. Like, arguably, a plague doctor setup would be really helpful in the dawning of COVID-19. Yeah, yeah, just, like, get a really long beak that stretches as far as, like, we should be away from each other. That's what the stick's for, Jen. And then he just... (laughs) You've got the stick, and you spin around like a helicopter. (laughs) Out of my way. Shouting, this is my dance space. (laughs) That's... That's how we solve this. Exactly. And then you wash your fucking hands. Wash your hands. Also wash your phones if you can. Yeah, you can. There's been a lot of people who are like, so if we wash our hands and then we touch our nasty ass phones that we've never washed before. Just give them a little wipesy. Yeah, just squeak, squeak. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, as you can imagine, 
third of the population dying in one year yeah is pretty fucking dark um and it keeps coming back that leads to a lot of dead bodies a lot of dead towns um you can imagine there's some pretty horrific ghost stories coming from this yes can you um so there are a lot of different locations like churches and graveyards and all that that you know you'll see people sitting in pews you'll see plague doctors walking around (sighs) can you imagine seeing one of those as a ghost that would be the worst (laughs) that's a pretty bad ghost outfit i would not i i think i would just expire on the spot i yeah (sighs) The, like, deep, empty eyes. So there's a bunch of, like, little vignettes of stories that I could cover. Um, There's a Ranker article called Ghosts and Hauntings Connected to the Black Plague. Gives you a really good smorgasbord of little hauntings. But one story that caught my attention in particular that actually caught my attention when I was researching for the last episode. And I was like, oh, that sounds really dope. But it's not ancient Rome. Um... That would be the island of Paveglia. Oh, Italy again? Italy. Of course we are in Italy, which is kind of ground zero for European infection. Absolutely. So a lot of the information that I have for this section is is from a different Ranker article that is specifically devoted to Poveglia. Uh, It is called Inside the Secret Italian Island Where Black Plague Sufferers Were Taken to Die. Yikes. Yes. Uh, so Paveglia is an island off the coast of Venice. So it's a real, it's like the entrance to one of the largest trading ports in Italy, I mean, if I not the Mediterranean. You know, that's um, what you would have needed. Yeah. So this is actually pretty late in the history of the Black Plague. In 1776. Oh. Yeah. Huh. So this is like kind of borderline. It's like... It starts off plaguey and then it'll get, it'll evolve. So in 1776, it's given or it's put under the jurisdiction of the public health office or the Magistrato alla Sanita. Sanita. So the Magistrate of Sanitation. Yeah, I just wanted to say it. It sounded really great when you said it. Thank you. Um, so it started as a designated checkpoint for all goods and people coming and going um, through Venice by ship. In 1793, there were several cases of plague on two different ships. So Poveglia became a quarantine or confinement station, uh, also known as a lazaretto. Fun. Uh, for the ill. So it, it's like, we're going to check you. If you're ill, we're going to make you stay here if the, the healthy people can go on. Also, people who are sick in Venice, I think, would also get shipped there and just dropped off. So it becomes very quickly the island of the damned. (laughs) It is just where they ship people to die. God, that's horrifying. Yeah, this is a nightmare situation. Imagine being loaded onto that ship. Yeah. There's like, (sighs) there's no coming back from that. Even if you recover, you're just... Forever unclean. you're, You're not gonna... Yeah, so... Did they drop off, like, supplies and food and stuff? Was there anybody there to help I mean, them? I assume that they probably didn't make them starve to death, too, but I I don't know. So it was a quarantine station until 1814 uh, through the Napoleonic the era. the went that long. Well, I think it kind of evolved into general, just like, you're sick, you go there. Right, okay. Um, so it was just, like, any kind of, like... Well, we know syphilis public... gets real big in there. Yeah. There was probably some syphilis people there, um, although that's not quite as... I mean, you have to 
do the do to get syphilis, right? Or yeah. is it more contagious than that? No. Okay. So syphilis people were probably fine. Like they probably didn't ship people with syphilis to that island because it's not as contagious. Right, right, right. Okay. Yes. Now I see what you mean. But the minute they hit stage three where they're losing body parts and they're on slightly to see. Well, also, yeah, but like. Also would have been big. But like syphilis was the rich person's disease too. Was it? Wasn't it like a bunch of like kings and like nobles? I mean, certainly we know kings and nobles had it, but I don't think they were the only ones who were visiting prostitutes. Sure. But I understand exactly. It's not like gout, though. Right. (laughs) But you do make sense to me. Okay. Uh, Can I tell you just one fun fact about syphilis? Sure. It's what gave us powdered wigs. All of these people were going bald because of syphilis. And so they started wearing fake hair. See, rich person's disease. Yeah. It makes, when you say it that way. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So, yeah, people are shipping the ill there until 1814. And then in 1922, it gets... 1922? 1922, it's converted into an asylum for the mentally ill. Oh, sure. That was big right then. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Big yikes. Big yikes. And then later it became a nursing home. So (laughs) this comes directly from the Ranker article. Um, There's legends that tell of a particularly demented doctor who worked at the island's mental hospital in the early 20th century. His experiments on patients are still shocking when told today. For instance, he believed that lobotomies were a great way to treat and cure (sighs) mental illness. Prime time for lobotomies. Um, So he performed lobotomies on numerous patients, usually against their will. The procedures were heinously wicked and painful. He used hammers, chisels, and drills with no (sighs) anesthesia or concern for sanitation. He supposedly saved his darkest experiments for special patients uh, that he took to the hospital's bell tower. Oh, Jesus. Whatever he did in there, the screams from those being tortured could be heard across the island. But fear not, karma eventually did catch up with him. Good. According to the legend, uh, he was beginning to suffer on his own mentally and was pursued by the island's multitude of ghosts. Uh, eventually, he lost his mind and climbed to the top of the bell tower and flung himself to his death. Good. Uh, yeah. There are varying accounts of his death, but some say he was actually pushed either by an angry island spirit or by some of his furious patients. Also good. Mm-hmm. Death is too good for that guy. Yeah. There's also a legend that a nurse witnessed his fall, claiming that he initially survived, but that a ghostly mist overcame his body and choked him to death. Badass. Badass. So it uh, remains open until 1968. <laughs> That's too late. That's, That's way too late. late. <laughs> but it has been pretty much abandoned since. Uh, the state tried to auction it off in 2014. Someone bought it, and they were planning to like build on it, but then quickly decided not to. Good. <laughs> in 2015, another private group bought the island. Um, their plan was to build a public park, a marina, and a restaurant, but that has not materialized, and it is still vacant to this day. Not surprising. Yeah. I super want to go there. Oh, a lot of people have. There, I believe there is a Ghost Adventures episode about this. I did not see it, but sure. I'm sure it's great. So in its heyday, when it was sick person island it hosted as many as 160,000 people at once at once i believe holy shit they were all crammed on that island how big is the island not big jesus um i mean it's like you know there's a fairly sizable building on it but like that's it (laughs) so like the size of my small neighborhood maybe um yeah it's probably like a few Square miles. Wow. 
Yeah. It's not big. That's completely insufficient for Mm -hmm. that many people. Yeah. So it is not surprisingly supposed to be haunted as fuck. It, with all of the plague victims, they were burning the bodies before burial. So it is said that approximately 50% of the soil is human remains. Holy shit. Yeah. There's, there have been other mass graves found on nearby islands that contain thousands of plague victims. This was a death, like everyone, thousands and thousands of people over, yeah. over it's, decades. It's, it's mind boggling to think about. Mm-hmm. Just literally everywhere you step, there's someone, multiple people really. Yeah, so unsurprisingly, there are many reports that you can still hear the screams of tortured souls. It sounds like a deeply unhappy place. Everyone who has re- gone to the island has returned uh, very shaken, and most are like, don't want to go back. Of um, not. They have reported feeling watched, scratched and pushed, chased down corridors. They've seen shadows following them on the walls as they walk through. Yeah. That gives me the absolute heaps. Yeah, it does. Psychics have visited and they've described malignant and angry spirits. um, And all of them have refused to return. Yeah. Yeah. I remember before when I was like, I want to go. I do not want to go. No, no. This is like, it's when I was Googling it, the most common way to describe it I saw was the world's most haunted island. It just seems like a nightmare. It seems worse than the island of the dolls. Oh, yeah. Island of the Dolls was, like, fun and quirky compared to this. Yeah. <laughs> 50% of the soil human remain. Yeah. Human remains. Because, like, the dolls is, like, okay, someone just decided to put up a lot of dolls. But this one is, like, there are no dolls. They're just all human skulls. Yeah. 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 So remember the uh, the doctor that I mentioned before who fell to his death from the bell tower? Um, some say that he his body was bricked up in the bell tower. Very Casco Amontillado. Yeah. Amontillado. I don't know. Fuck it. Yeah. I was with you there. Sure. <laughs> I was like, sure, yeah, that. So it is. Uh, locals have said that you can hear him ringing the bell. Nope. At night. <clears throat> nope. Nope. <sighs> nope. Get out of there. Yeah. Also, because of all the the bodies, um, there are still charred bones that wash up on shore. Probably because of like erosion and waves and sure, sure, carrying sure. them from place to place. Jesus. And then, so years after Paveglia Island's mental hospital was shut down, there was one family who decided to purchase the island, uh, intending to build a private holiday home there <laughs> because apparently they have no idea what happened or are dumber <laughs> than the Lutzes. Of Maybe the, it was the Adams. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice thought. Right. But I would hate for um, what fate befell them to befall the Adams family. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) So um, they arrived and got settled in on the first day. But that night was filled with such horrors that within hours, the family fled never to return. They reported that their daughter's face was nearly ripped off by an angry resident entity. And that is the story of the plague island of Paveglia. Holy shit. Ripping off children's faces. Yeah. All right, well, let's never fucking go there. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd really uh, bring the spook this episode. So, um. That is so unsettling. It really is. All right, do you have a listener story for us to, like, cleanse our palate here? Mm hmm. 
This week's listener story is brought to us by BetterHelp Online. So we've both had a pretty rough year, right? It's been a motherfucker of a year, Jen. It has indeed. Uh, Wouldn't you like to have someone to talk to about that? I mean, besides you and all of our listening fans. Yes, but like someone qualified. Oh, yes, yes. No, having like a real adult talk to me and tell me when I'm making chronically bad choices would Mm. actually be really helpful. So I agree, but like my thing is that I have a lot of anxiety about making that first step and like literally leaving my house and going to talk to someone. What's nice about BetterHelp Online is that you can actually get put in touch with a qualified counselor uh, securely, which is Mm. nice. It should be noted that this is not the same as a crisis hotline. This is literally a service that gets you matched up with a qualified counselor, like a real therapist Mm -hmm. somewhere in the world. Well, awesome. So anywhere in the world? Anywhere in the world. They know that we have a a lot of fans, for example, in Australia. Mm -hmm. This service is available to them as well. Is it just texting or do you get to actually like talk to someone? You can also do video calls or telephone calls. I know some people get uncomfortable with that though. So texting is also an option. Yeah, because I am a true millennial. So I don't like talking to people on the phone. So what if me, a poor millennial who is underpaid, can't really afford traditional therapy? This is one of the most affordable versions of therapy. Mm -hmm. And they have financial aid available. You should definitely check it out and see if it's something that will work for you. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, mm. I'll check that out. Yeah. So if you want to try BetterHelp online for yourself, you can head right to trybetterhelp.com slash podcast is haunted. That is trybetterhelp.com slash podcast is haunted. You can join over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional and you can have 10% off your first month. 10% off is pretty helpful, especially if you're worried about your finances. It's pretty dope. All right. Well, thank you to BetterHelp Online. Yeah, we appreciate your sponsorship. Let's talk about the listener story. So this story uh, comes from Maisie. Hi, Maisie. So... Uh, she writes, Hi, ladies. I super puffy heart your podcast. <laughs> Thank you for all you do. I have two stories to share today. The first is a brief personal experience. The second involves my sister and an old family secret. Fuck yeah. I fucking love family secrets. I do too. Okay. So, my story. One cold, drizzly January evening in 2018, I was driving my children home from a visit to their grandparents. It had been an unusually warm week with no snow and frequent rainstorms. This particular night was was the beginning of a cold snap. The rain had let up, but the snow had not yet begun. Autumn leaves still littered the roadside, moldering in soggy masses. Uh, first off, can I just say you are painting me a picture, and I am loving it. A positive tapestry of words. Love it. Mm-hmm. Despite the drizzle, the air was clear, and I passed through a familiar street. I was able to completely extinguish my windshield wipers as the trees that joined together overhead created a natural umbrella. In all the thousands of times I'd driven on this road, I'd never felt it to be ominous or strange, despite its lack of street lamps and other vehicles at this late hour. It was an old neighborhood, the street narrow and houses filled with families cozied up inside behind their glowing windows. Suddenly, a a young girl stepped out of a driveway and came to a stop on the roadside to the left of me. She looked to be about 13 with short, dark hair and a small, thin frame swimming in an oversized tank top. Jesus. Painfully thin legs emerged out of her cut-off sweatshorts. The temperature was falling towards freezing and she wasn't even wearing shoes. I could see her bony white feet standing frozen on the wet leaves. 
That girl's not alive. <laughs> in the brief glance I caught of her in my headlights, her eyes looked haunted and fearful. I immediately had the strong impression that she was sneaking out of her house to be picked up by an older man in a split second without my conscious efforts. A host of emotions, images, and words flooded my mind. Okay, so there is a trigger warning here. Um, it looks like there's some uh, warning signs of... I'm seeing trafficking uh so uh just you know any sexual assault awareness yeah if you need to fast forward fast forward that was enough of a spook for me anyway right so cindy lopper's girls just want to have fun played through my thoughts like a ribbon then fear drugs rape human trafficking this girl was in real danger i am a great believer in following your instincts in these situations yes yeah be nosy Mm -hmm. i have often sniffed out danger before a situation occurred and having reacted preemptively watched as a disaster was averted i believe looking like a fool is always a small price to pay to protect another person now this is exactly what you should do as she passed into my peripheral vision i stopped the van on the empty road at the same moment i glanced over my shoulder to where the waif had been only a split second ago she had vanished jesus I slammed the gear shift into park as I quickly told my teen son that I needed to check that a child was okay. I jumped out of the van, leaving him in charge of his sleeping brothers. A matter of only seconds had passed since I had seen the girl in my headlights, but as I ran to the spot just feet away, I saw and heard no one and nothing. I even ventured down the driveway whispering hello. The house was one of the few on the street with dark windows and no vehicles in the driveway. I glanced back at my van and decided to risk running up and knocking on the door of the house as my emergency flashers were on and I had pulled slightly to the side of the narrow street. I had to make sure some someone knew about the child outside in inadequate clothing on such a night. There was no answer to my knocks. The occupants were most certainly not home and there was no sign of the child or sound to be heard. The atmosphere in the yard felt abandoned and fearful. I myself was unafraid. I only felt the burning need to protect that comes from, with being a mother. After walking up and down the street a block or so, I finally returned to my vehicle and began our drive home. I asked my son if he had seen the girl on the side of the road. He said no. He had been looking at the road ahead, just as I had, but had seen nothing. As I pondered what I had just experienced, the realization dawned on me that there was no way the girl could have run fast enough to disappear from my first sighting of her until my glance over my shoulder. As soon as I opened my door, I would have heard her running feet. It was the extremely quiet moment right before a snowfall. I have been up and down the street many times since, The house is home to a family. There are bikes in the yard and a golden retriever behind the fence. I have seen two African-American children playing out front. They bear no resemblance to the girl who appeared to be Latinx. The street still remains a cozy, family-friendly place, but I will never drive past that spot without peering down the driveway looking for a thin, frightened girl. Holy shit. Great story. Yeah. Oh. (sighs) Okay, so there's another one. Okay. So one is called The Ghost Who Outed Our Family Secret. Um, This one also has a trigger warning for sexual assault. So you do you, my babies. So when my older sister, a sweet placid girl who always looks on the bright side, began having a recurring nightmare at 14, her first instinct as a devout Christian was to pray for it to leave her. The dream persisted. In the dream, she is walking down a dusty old west street. Vultures are circling above, occasionally diving just above the heads of the people on the street. A middle-aged woman dressed in clothing from the early 20s passes her and says, Looks like death is on the hunt. Holy shit. (laughs) Just imagine that in like an Old West voice. 
Looks like death is on the hunt. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> uh, my sister pegs her accent from Wyoming. That, I could not fucking tell you what a Wyoming accent sounds like. I think you like. just did one. All right, cool. She walks into a hotel and up the stairs. The sound of a girl crying emanates through one of the doors. She jiggles the doorknob, struggling to open it, finally flings it open. There is no one on the other side. She walks into the room and over to the washstand. In the bowl are a girl's white nightgown with blood stains. A rifle lays on the floor next to the bed. Suddenly, she is at the edge of a lake at the outskirts of the town. Several men from the town are gathered around, muttering about a problem that must be solved. As she walks closer to the lake, a man's corpse suddenly bobs up in the water. The group of men scurry over with long poles and push the body back down. One man says, just keeps resurfacing. We've got to find a way to hold it down. Suddenly, a girl standing next to my sister. She is in her teens and dressed in a simple cotton dress of the 1920s. She is staring at the water where the body was so recently resubmerged. They partially blamed me, you know, she says. After that, they were ashamed of me. I got married as quick as I could to get out of that house. They said I was too young, but they didn't fight it much. They were happy to make me someone else's problem. I think it was the nightmares and the screaming that really made them mad. At this, my sister would usually wake up. The dream varied, but all the main elements were the same. The Wyoming town, the bloody nightgown, the body that just wouldn't stay down. Finally, my sister couldn't take it anymore. She had to tell my mom. As she told her the dream, my mom grew paler and more tense. When she finished, my mother took a deep breath and said, well, I never planned on telling you this, but apparently Hazel did. She told us the story of her aunt and told her in secret, a story about mom's grandma or great-grandma Hazel. She had been raped at only 13 by a cowboy who worked on her father's cattle ranch in Wyoming. When she told her family what had happened, her father immediately went for the sheriff, but her brothers went to the barn and found the man and shot him in the back. The sheriff agreed to gloss over the truth, saying they shot him in defense of their sister. There was no murder trial and my great-great-uncles walked free. Hazel got married at just 14 and had four children by her 20th birthday. She suffered from melancholy, and after several miscarriages and the traumatic birth of twins, she had a nervous breakdown, became catatonic, and was sent to an asylum for eight months. <sighs> My grandma, at age 11, and Hazel's widowed mother, who is in poor health and lived with them, were left to raise her five younger children and cook and care for her husband and the ranch hands. Eventually, she came home, but was never right again. Her mother was a loving grandmother to her children, but according to my great-aunt, had told Hazel that she wished she had never told them what had happened w- to her with that cowboy. Whatever her meaning behind the statement, I'm sure the young girl Hazel internalized that guilt for his murder. Hazel's brothers met a better end, a bitter end. One brother was kicked in the face by a horse while shooing it. He had a mouthful of nails, and I don't think I need to go into detail oh on that one. God. <sighs> oh my fucking God. Uh, The other brother was trampled by a herd of cattle spooked by a snake. It's tragic to me that my poor great-grandma had to live her life under the cloud of shame and the guilt of a man's murder. The old family stories always painted her to be weak-minded and willed instead of a victim of trauma and shame. I'm glad that she was eventually able to tell her story to my sister. I think that means that wherever she is, she no longer lives under shame. She doesn't want the truth swept under the rug anymore. Again, thank you for your awesome podcast. I love listening. Feels like hanging out with two hilarious, wickedly smart friends. Wow, that was fantastic. So that comes from Maisie. Maisie, that was amazing. Amazing, Maisie. Wow. I know. Thank you so much. That was truly an excellent story. You know, um, wow. Just wow. 
Wow. Okay, sorry. I'm just going to keep saying wow. Just ignore me. (sighs) What an episode. Yeah, I'm really happy with everything that we had to talk about. How fucking fascinating. Mm -hmm. Man. Uh, So, all right. Well, guys, we should probably wrap it up. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Uh, We don't have any new patrons to thank this week, but if you would like to check us out, we are on patreon.com slash this podcast is haunted. You can also check us out on social media. Our stuff is listed below. You can find us. Yeah, we're around. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. This has been a gas. Uh, We'll have another episode for you in a fortnight. Mm -hmm. Until then, stay spooky, motherfuckers. Bye.